Genesis chapter number 16, continuing to look through the life of Abraham and all that uh, God recorded about Abraham. Of course, Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, uh, our, our professor at FBI actually put it very well. He said, if you want to understand the Bible, he said, if you want to understand what the Bible's about, the first 11 chapters of the Bible is about the creation and the establishment of man. The rest of the Bible is about Abraham and his descendants. That's, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, and, um, so uh, we'll be looking here at Abraham. So I was saying last week, you know, that God had a lot to say about Abraham. Well, when we look at it from the professor's perspective, he has a lot to say about Abraham, more than even uh, we were considering. But in chapter number 16, uh, we look at a, a story that you and I still see the effects of today. Uh, I've titled this, The Birth of the Arab-Israeli Conflict. Uh, and so it is still to this day, uh, it, if not every day, it, you don't have to watch the news very long at all until you'll hear something uh, being said about a conflict going on in the Middle East, uh, and it can all be traced back to Genesis chapter number 16. Abraham made a choice, and that choice has affected the course of mankind for the rest of time. Boy, I'm telling you what, whenever we look at this story, we need to consider the effect that our choices can have. I'm sure that Abraham had no idea the lasting effect that this choice was going to have. So uh, we're going to take a little bit and look at this story uh, this evening. We see here in chapter number 16, of course you are familiar with the story, but Abraham tries to get ahead of God. Uh, we see that this is something that is reoccurring in Abraham's life. Abraham is trying to get ahead of God. God has said, here's what I've promised you, and Abraham tries to figure it out on his own. He tries to get ahead of God. And the result uh, of, of Abraham's action have steadily gotten worse. We've seen whenever he uh, considered his servant, God just had to reprimand Abraham and remind him this is not what's going to happen. Now we see that Abraham's went a step further. And as we just said, he made a choice that affected the history of the Jewish people forever. Um, so whenever we look at this, we see, we see the story of a child of God doubting God and deciding to take things into their own hands and causing nearly causing disaster. So as we continue looking at Abraham, I believe that we'll see a lot of applications here that can apply to you and I. Let's read Genesis chapter number 16. Uh, we'll read down um, through verse number 6. And we'll be referring to the whole chapter, but we'll read down through verse number 6, then we'll pray and we'll get into the lesson. The Bible says in Genesis 16, starting in verse 1, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, 
she fled from her face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for this privilege and opportunity we have to gather together and to look into your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you will bless as we look at this account. And Father, uh, Lord, we're looking at an account of Abram uh, Lord, making a bad choice. And Lord, we see the repercussions uh, of that choice. And Father, as we look at this story, I pray to Lord that we will, we will learn from Abraham's mistake. And Father, Lord, we will learn to trust uh, and rely on you and to wait on you, uh, Father, Lord, whenever you are moving in our life. Bless now as we look at your word. Bless in the children's meetings downstairs, the teens and the children. I pray you bless uh, Pastor Kent and Brother Aiden as they're working with the young people and the others that are serving downstairs. I pray to Lord you'll be with them and bless this Bible study, Father, I pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we see here this account of uh, Sarah and Abram uh, taking things in their own hands, making a choice on their own, and of course facing the repercussions thereof. And so as we get into this lesson, there's several things that I want to show you this evening, so we'll try to get right into it and get going here. The first thing that we see when we get into this lesson is a test of faith, a test of faith. Now you know you may ask the question, why, why did God make Abram wait so long? Abram has been 10 years in Canaan at this point. Uh, God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, Abram obeyed God. Abram went. God promised Abram a great nation. He promised uh, to, that he would bless him, that he would multiply his seed. God's given him all these promises. Abram obeyed God. Abram came out. Uh, Abram has been in Canaan for 10 years, and there is still no child. And so we may wonder why is it that God is waiting to give the seed to Abram? I mean, I'm starting to sympathize with Abram a little bit. I'm starting to get the drift, you know. Why is this taking so long? Well, if we go over to the book of Hebrews, we will find that the Bible says that when Abram had Isaac, when he gave birth to Isaac, that Abram was as good as dead. God wanted there to be no question that this was a chosen seed, that this was a work of the hand of God, that this was something that God orchestrated and that God did. And frankly, Abraham was too young for that right now. Not to mention that there was a lot of training and learning and developing that Abram needed to do before he came to the point of having Isaac as his son. And so although to Abraham this seemed like God was taking way too long, God had a much bigger picture in mind that would required that Abraham wait. But we see here that there is a test of Abram's faith. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. Like I said a moment ago, if we think about this, we want to start to sympathize with Abraham because everything about the promise hinged on a son. Everything hinged on a son. But Sarah wasn't bearing any children. They've been married for a long time. There has never been any children. They are getting older there is no hope of them ever having children. And the promise hinges on a son. I imagine that Sarah and Abram had many, many, many conversations over the past 10 years 
about this very thing. I don't understand, Sarah. God says that he wants to give us a son. We've never had children, Sarah. I don't understand. And of course, for whatever reason, they understood that Sarah was the reason they weren't having children. I'm sure they discussed this many, many times. How is God going to give us a son? It was a test of their faith. You see, God often works in ways that we cannot understand. And he does it so that we will realize that it is only through and by him that this is able to happen. And it builds our faith in him and it gives glory to God. So we see here that their faith is being tested. Now there's a few things I want to mention to you about faith before we go on and look at the rest of the story. Whenever we think about faith, in Abraham and Sarah putting faith in God and in you and I putting faith in God, there's some things that we must remember about faith. First of all, faith revolves around the glory of God. I am able to trust God. I am able to wait. I am able to accept what God is doing if I understand that the outcome is to bring glory to God. Faith revolves around bringing glory to God. When I start becoming interested or concerned about my own recognition, then I start wanting to rush things. But as long as I'm focused on the glory of God, faith revolves around the glory of God. Not only that, but faith requires a willingness to wait. You say, now why is that? Well, if everything happened instantaneously, no faith would be involved. If everything happened automatically, no faith would be involved. Have you ever gotten one of those things or maybe your child got one of those things and it's a little bitty phone character, comes in a little plastic bag and you take this little phone character and you put it in water and it's supposed to grow up to 100 times its original size and you get to little thing, and I don't believe they ever grow up as big as they're supposed to, but anyway, you get to little thing, you open it up, and you put it in the water, and the little kid's jumping up and down and saying, why ain't it growing? Why ain't it growing? Why ain't it growing? Well, it takes time. you got to wait. And every time I've ever dealt with one with my children, we normally have to go to bed, and it's still not changed much. But when we get up the next morning, boy, that thing grew up overnight. I mean, it really got bigger. If it happened instantaneously, no faith would be involved. But because it took time, they had to trust that when I get up in the morning, this thing's going to be far bigger than it was when I put it in there. Faith requires a willingness to wait. If we're not able to wait on God, then we are not able to exercise faith. Not only that, but faith relies on the authority of God's word. God had told Abram, I will give you a son. That was God's word. But Abram was having trouble waiting on God. True faith relies on the authority of God's word. It's what God said. So regardless of what the circumstances look like, regardless of what the situation appears to be, this is what God's word has said. Therefore, I am going to trust that this is what's going to take place. Abram knew what God had said, but Abram kept trying to find an answer rather than just relying on God's word. But then the last thing I want to mention to you about faith is that true faith results in peace for the Christian. Once we grasp these first three things about faith, 
and we learn to just truly, completely rely on God. It's in His hands. It's what He wants, however He wants. It results in great peace for the Christian. We don't lose sleep over it. We don't fret about it. We just trust that God will do what He said He was going to do. So we see that if Abram would have simply trusted God, he could have avoided all the trauma that we're going to see here in chapter number 16. He could have had perfect peace and just simply enjoyed living in Canaan. But instead, Abram worried. He didn't rely on the authority of God's word. He wasn't willing to wait. And we see that he cost himself the peace that God had offered him. So we see that there's a test of faith. But then once we move past that, we see that there is a temptation to do some scheming. There is a temptation to scheme. There's a temptation to plan and to plot and to figure out another way to do this. And we see this in verses 1 to 3. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bearing no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. We see here that because Sarah is unable to have children, they begin to scheme. They begin to scheme what they can do. First thing I see that they did is they assessed the situation with their own understanding. You know, one thing that we must accept about ourselves is that the wisdom of God is above and beyond the wisdom of man. We must accept that God can see a bigger picture than we can see. We must accept that God already knows all of our shortcomings. He already knows all of our all of the human uh, hindrances to what he's caused to do. He's already took all that into account. Now we simply have to trust that he knows how to get around these situations. But oftentimes, instead of recognizing that, we try to assess the situation in what we can see and what we can understand rather than allowing to God to work through it. What did they think, think here in their own understanding? Well, I believe that they began to reason that Sarah is unable to bear children. But here in the land of Canaan, according to the local law, according to the code of conduct, it's acceptable for a man to have children by his wife's servant and the wife be able to claim the child. We see that this happened later with Jacob whenever he married the servants of Rachel and Leah and had children by them, and Rachel and Leah claimed the children as their own. We see here that here in Canaan, this was something that was okay. It was acceptable. It had nothing to do with God. It was nothing that God had uh, ordained, nothing that God had put his approval on. It was something that the heathen culture had said was okay. But the heathen culture says that Hagar can bear children, and Sarah can claim them as her own. So maybe this is how God wants to give Abraham a child. You see how they began to assess things 
in their own understanding. They began to think through what facts they saw, what facts they understood, and they said, maybe, maybe this is what's happening. The second thing, the second mistake they made, not only did they assess with their own understanding, but then they assumed that they understood the mind of God. You know what? We need never assume that we know what God is doing. I believe that sometimes we can get a little glimpse of what he's doing. Sometimes we will see a situation and we'll say, boy, I can see what God is doing there. And we may be correct in what we're saying, but I believe that always what God is doing is far bigger than the one little thing that we have seen and figured out. God works on a way bigger scale than we do. But they un assumed they understood the mind of God. How do I see that? Well, in verse number 2, Sarah made this statement. The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. The Lord is the one that is keeping me from having children. So therefore, the Lord must want us to find another way to have a child. If the Lord wanted me to have a child, the Lord would have given me a child. It's the Lord that's closed up my womb, so the Lord wants us to go a different route. Have you ever heard people reason similar to this? Maybe not necessarily as exactly as Sarah did. But God has caused this in my life, so God wants me to do this. Sarah said the Lord's restrained me from bearing, so the Lord must be okay with Abram taking Hagar and bearing children through Hagar. God was not okay with Abram taking Hagar. And any time that our reasoning ends up with something that is against the law of God, we can be assured that God did not plan on it. But they assumed they understood God's mind. Not only that, they made a third mistake in that they adhered to social standards rather than the word of God. Sarah went on to say in verse number 2, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now as I said that in the land of Canaan, this was a, a, a custom there in Canaan that the, that the lady could, have, could claim the children of her handmaid. This was socially acceptable. This was a social standard. This was something that no one around them was going to condemn them for. This was socially acceptable. It wasn't godly. Now if we could just make a little application here, and I won't make any direct applications. I'll let you do that. But in our day, something that has permeated Christianity tremendously is that Christians live their lives by what is socially acceptable rather than by the word of God. Sarah and Abram made a mistake that affected thousands of years because they acted on what was socially acceptable rather than what was godly. And I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is crippled because people are living according to what is socially acceptable rather than seeking and finding what is godly. 
and living according to what is godly. But they adhered to social standards rather than the word of God. So their faith was tested. And in the test, rather than following God, they were tempted to do some planning and scheming on their own. They began to come up with this. One little thing I want to show you here before I go on that again uh, helps us to see how our mistakes stay with us is it says in verse number one that she had a handmaid. And there's two words here that really are not necessary to understand what happened, but boy, they tell us a lot. She had a handmaid and Egyptian. You remember a couple chapters back, Abraham started doubting God and he went to Egypt and he was given servants there in Egypt and he took them back home with him. It's very likely that Hagar was a servant that Abram got when he went to Egypt the first time he doubted God. I'm telling you, we need to be careful what we pick up from the world. When we start picking things up from the world, we need to be careful that they don't later become a snare to us again. We see here that they were tempted to scheme and Hagar came into this picture. But then we see their faith was tested. They were tempted to scheme. Because of their scheming, they came up with a plan and they acted on their plan. But in verse 4 through 6, we see the trouble that comes with straying away from God. The trouble that comes when we stray away from God. The first thing that we see in verse number 4 is that the mistake becomes Obvious, Isn't that something how that whenever, whenever we plan and scheme and we decide we're going to do something contrary to the will of God and we do it and almost immediately we begin to realize that we messed up. Almost immediately we begin to realize, uh-oh, this is a repercussion I didn't think about. This is something I didn't realize was going to happen. I've made a bad call. The mistake becomes obvious when you stray. I apologize for drinking so much water. My voice keeps trying to go on me here tonight. So I'm trying to keep it alive for y'all. But uh, we see here that uh, the mistake became obvious. In verse number 4, the Bible says, uh, And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now Sarah never counted on this. Sarah never thought about this. Sarah said, you go into my maid, you bear children by my maid, the children will be mine, it'll be okay. Abram goes into Hagar, Hagar conceives. When Hagar realized that she conceived, she seen that there was a possibility, there was a potential that she would be favored in Abram's eyes and that she could potentially take Sarah's place. She could do something Sarah couldn't do. She began to feel elevated and she began to look down her nose at Sarah. And Sarah said, I never counted on this. I never thought about this happening. I never thought about this possibility. And it began to become evident very quickly that this was a bad idea. This was something they should not have done. Whenever you stray, the mistake becomes obvious. But not only that, your true motives surface. You know what? Oftentimes, whenever we stray away from the will of God, we will justify it every way possible. And we'll have all these good reasons why what we're doing is a good thing. 
We'll have Bible verses that, that show that this choice that I'm making is, is the right thing. It's, it's the right thing for my family. It's the right thing for me as an individual. It may not be what everybody should do, but in our situation, and we will justify and justify and justify. But whenever we stray, there is, I would say 99% of the time, there is an underlying motive. It wasn't that we were seeking God's will. It's that we were seeking a loophole to God's will. It's not that we were seeking a, a better path. It's that we were seeking an alternate path. Most always, there is an underlying motive that we're trying to accomplish when we stray from God's will. And whenever we stray... The motive will surface. The true motive will surface. We see here in verses 4 and 5, it says, And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And we'll get ahead of myself just a little bit here. We'll come back and cover it. Sarah said, Abraham, God has promised you a son. And Abraham, there's, I can't have children. There's got to be a way that we can get you a son so that you can claim this promise. This is what Sarah is saying. This is the outward, this is the spoken motive. Abraham goes into Hagar. Hagar conceives. This is a good thing, right? Hagar's going to have a child. This is a good thing. This is what Sarah wanted. Sarah says, she's going to despise me, get her out of my house. But what about the son? What about the promise? What, what, what about accomplishing God's will? You see, Sarah's motive was never to accomplish God's will. Sarah's motive was to get herself a son. Sarah's motive was never to accomplish what God had promised he would do for Abraham or else she would have been willing to endure the ridicule. But no, we're not going to put up with the ridicule. Get this woman out of my house. Forget about the promised seed. Sarah's true motive surfaced. This was all about Sarah. This wasn't, didn't have anything to do with promise. You see, whenever you stray, your true motives will surface. But then we see that not only will the true motives surface, but whenever you stray from God, the guiding morals will cease. Your guiding morals will cease. Sarah and Abram were good moral people. They lived uh, according to the word of God. They did their best to live for God and obey God. We know that Sarah was a submissive lady uh, who the Bible says called Abraham Lord. I mean, she, she knew her place in the home and it was a great home and everything worked together very well. But when they strayed, these guiding morals ceased to guide them. In verses 5 and 6, it says, And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee, this, this verse right here, just take a minute to notice this. Just imagine yourself being Abram and listen to what Sarah said. This is one of the most confusing things I've ever heard anybody say to another person. 
Remember, this was Sarah's idea, right? This was Sarah's idea. This is what she wanted to do. And Sarah says unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. So it's your fault. I gave my maid to your bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Abram, this is your fault. I gave her to you, and now the Lord's going to have to judge between me and you because what you did when I told you to do it. I mean, this is some of the most confusing thing I've ever heard anybody say. But she's like, Abram, there's a problem. In other words, submissive Sarah gave Abram a tongue lashing. She let Abram have it. Hey, you messed up, brother. You messed up big time. I told you to do this and you did it and you messed up. I mean, she just let him have it. Now, fellas, don't be looking at your wives, but this sounds familiar. <laughs> just joking, ladies. <laughs> we see here this submissive Sarah, because she disobeyed God, she strayed from the plan of God. Now we find submissive Sarah has left her guiding morals and she is lashing out at her husband. Not only did Sarah lash out at her husband, but we see in verse number 6 that Abram backed out as being leader of the home. He just backed out. In all honesty, when Sarah suggested this, Sarah wasn't that far off whenever she told Abram that he was the one that was wrong because Abram was the one that was wrong. He was the leader of the home. Just because Sarah came to him with the idea didn't mean he should have acted on it. He should have stood up as a man of the house and said, no, we're not going to do this. That's what should have happened. But instead he went along with it. And now when Sarah comes at him blaming him for it, look in verse number 6 at what Abram does. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, the maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. Abram backed out. His guiding morals ceased. No longer was he acting as head of the home. He backed out and said, Sarah, you do what you want with her. Do, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm backing out of this. I'm no longer involved. The problem is he was involved and he couldn't back out, but he was not taking responsibility because his guiding morals had ceased. And then we see that caring Sarah, loving Sarah, drove a lady who was expecting a child out into the wilderness alone. I'm telling you what, whenever you stray from God, the most, the most moral people can become the most evil people when they stray away from God. This is not something that Abram and Sarah would have ever considered doing before. And here they are driving this servant who was dependent upon them, who was with child because of their actions. They're driving her out to go live in the wilderness. I'm telling you what, whenever you stray, whenever you stray, your guiding morals cease. And then the last one, this is where I said that we was getting a little ahead of ourselves. But we see that whenever you stray from God, the mission is forgotten. The mission is forgotten. The whole reason that this started, the whole reason that Hagar was given to Abram in the first place, was so that Abram could receive the promised son. That's the whole reason they did this. But now the mission is forgotten. They've forgotten their purpose because of their folly. And boy, I'm telling you what, sometimes we'll get so caught up in doing things on our own 
that we will completely miss what it is that God has called us to do. The mission is forgotten. They've completely forgot why they even did this in the first place. So we see that there was a test of faith. There was a temptation to scheme. We see that, uh, that then the, the guiding morals uh, ceased. They, they, they began to get away from God. There was, there was uh, trouble. But then we see, last of all, the triumph of submission. The triumph of submission. And this is verse number 7 down through the rest of the chapter. And we see, let's just read, let's just read these verses and then we'll give the points briefly. It says in verse number 7, Hagar's been driven away. She's gone out into the wilderness. And verse number 7 says, And the angel of the Lord found her. You know what? You may not care for somebody, but God still does. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? She said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. She called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Berlehiro. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. I see here the triumph in submission. I see first Hagar's submission in returning to Sarah. The angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar and said, Hagar, I need you to go back home. This is not what Hagar wanted to do. This is not where she wanted to be. She had fled from Sarah. The angel of the Lord said, Hagar, I need you to return to Sarah. Hagar had to submit to the will of God and return to Sarah. Not only that, I see Sarah's submission in receiving Hagar. Now the Bible does not say here, does not give the account of what happened when Hagar returned home. But we do know in chapter 17 that between the last verse of chapter 16 and the first verse of chapter 17, that 13 years have passed. And Ishmael and Hagar are still in the house. And so it's apparent that Sarah received Hagar back. Sarah had to submit to the will of God in receiving Hagar back into her home and offering care to Hagar and Ishmael. And then we see Abram's submission in realizing the futility of going around God's plan. Abram had to realize that this was futile. Up to this point in our study of Abram's life, we've been following Abram for 10 years. And in this period of time, Abram has made multiple mistakes because he lacked faith in God. God would say, this is what I'm going to do. Abram would do something different. We've seen Abram go down into Egypt. 
We saw Abram uh, try to give the inheritance to his servant. Uh, we see Abram uh, taking Hagar uh, to try and raise up the seed through Hagar. Multiple mistakes that Abram has made. But after this mistake, as I just said, we jump 13 years and nothing significant takes place. We go from 86 to 99 and it seems to me that Abram learned his lesson. Now as we continue to study, we'll see that Abram's not perfect. Abram's human just like you and I. But Abram had to realize that God has got a plan and what's necessary for me is to wait on God to fulfill his plan. You know what? Waiting on the Lord is probably one of the most difficult things as Christians that we have to do. But the Bible teaches us over and over and over again. David said, wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. There are some things that we can't rush. We just have to wait on God to work. As we see here in this account that Abram waited, learned, Abram learned to wait on the Lord. He made a big mistake, but he learned to wait. If we learn nothing else from this lesson, is my prayer that we look at the mistake of Abram and we learn from his mistake to wait on the Lord rather than making the mistake ourselves. You know, a fellow once told me, learn from the mistakes of others. You're not going to live long enough to make them all yourself. Learn from the mistake of Abraham. Learn to wait on the Lord. Hopefully that's a blessing to you this evening. Anyone